hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 43. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Brennan? Uh, Will, I am, uh, I'm going to pretend like we weren't just here like three days ago. <laughs> like three days ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're recording this a little bit early uh, because I have to go to Rebelstoke. You do. Because, oh, hang on. I'm going to, I'm going to print myself up for this reveal, this big juicy reveal here. My book, A Strange Little Place, oh, God. available everywhere fine books are sold, has been added to the curriculum at Revelstoke Secondary School. Those poor bastards. So I will sell an extra five or six copies. <laughs> Thank you. That's another a cool $8 in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, if I've earned out my advance or not. Is this the kind of school owned by the mill to keep children, like, Doc- like docile, docile and, <laughs> and conforming we'll to... some bad fairy tales. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, no, it's, um, it's, it is the secondary school. I, not the one I went to. That, was, that school has been bulldozed shortly after I left, you know. Surprise. No coincidence, I'm sure. No, no, no. Uh, but yeah, they've added it to the curriculum. Cool. For, yeah, Communications 12, so I'm going to go and visit the class and do a Q&A. That's awesome. And, yeah, it's really neat. That's really neat. Uh, it's kind of surreal. Yeah. You know, I go in to do a Q&A at my old, well, not my old school, but my old school. Yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've, I'm not looking forward to it. i got to get winter tires put on my car. And That's expensive. Well, it's only 30 bucks. Oh, you're getting them just put on. Yeah, I already, I already have oh, winter tires. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I would just chance it with the tires I have. No <laughs> I can't afford winter tires right now. But uh, yeah, so anyways, we are recording this episode early, so there's going to be a few changes at the end of the show. You know, we won't really have any new patron shout-outs because we just did those. Yes, we did. But And we love you, but there's really no one to shout-out about. <laughs> that's yet. right. But we'll catch up with everyone on the episode after this. Yeah. So uh, this episode is going to be about listener stories. Yay, I love these episodes. Oh, me too. And you know, I sort of had this idea in my head that we would do them every 10 episodes. We would right. do listener stories. Right. And they've been piling up. Right. Uh, I, I tried to tell you. Yes, in fairness, you did. <laughs> so I, when I was putting together this show, I I realized, yeah, I, everything you've heard here, we received in June. It, that's insane. Yes. With, I should say with one exception, right. which was a recent arrival. Right. But other than that, everything came in June. So we still have months of listener stories backed up. So I, instead of doing two this month, I think what we're going to do is two this month and one next month, or maybe one in December. Wow. Just because we have so many stories, and I want to make sure that people know we're, we're reading them and that we're, we, we're going to share them. Yeah. You know? Because I, that is one thing that people have told us, it's really as a common theme in the email, is people saying that we've sort of helped them in some way come to terms with their own experiences. Right. Feel slightly less alone. And I think that's pretty sweet. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's the same thing I had happened to me reading Barbara Smith's books. Of course. And knowing that, oh, this isn't just me. This has happened to a lot of other people. And actually, mine story is quite mundane. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, and it's all kind of the same thing. Like, you never hear about a ghost. Oh, he came into my room and sprayed it down with fried chicken. Like, you never hear that. You just I hear, hope I never do. That's be, horrible. Oh, be amazing. Sprayed it down with... I know. I don't want chicken sprayed Free at Free chicken? If, if he came in with a box of chicken and said, here is some fried chicken for you, okay, that's fine. Well, that seems awfully polite and organized. He's going to spray it? Like, what, out of a t-shirt cannon? Well, who knows? Ghosts? I don't know. Maybe. 
I think it'd be great. The more I learn about the world you live in, the more frightening I find it. I think I had too much Tim Burton as a child. I, I mean, think that's you did. the problem. I think you did. But yeah, no, I, I mean, you don't hear that. You hear, oh, it made noises or it was a shadow or... Yeah, there's a lot of commonality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which doesn't make your experience any less interesting or individual, but it, in some ways there's some comfort in oh, knowing absolutely. that you're part of this club now. 100%. Yeah. Oh, we are all in this together. Absolutely. Our musical guest on this episode is The Abyss. The Abyss is a synthwave artist out of North Carolina, and we are going to be presenting an advanced release track from their new album, Centurion, which will be out on October 30th. That song is Thunder, and you can find more from them at instagram.com slash radioabyss or radioabyss.bandcamp.com. They're also available on all of the major streaming services, so if you check the show notes, I'll have a link to their Spotify page as well. All right, coming up next, Listener Stories, Volume 1. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we're going to be looking at listener stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I was shocked because you, you handle all the email. Right. So I, I was shocked at the volume of, of, of these things. When you said to me, oh, do we have enough stories? Yeah, I'm I, like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was also the guy who, you know, when you had suggested a Patreon said, ah, no one's going to sign up for that <laughs> shit. So I, I think maybe. So really, I'm always right is what we've Let's not go this. crazy here. I, yeah. I I'm willing to admit my powers of prognostication are not not perhaps the greatest. I don't want to say you are always right because that is a profoundly wrong statement. Wow. And I'm But as the guy who's always right and you're wrong, who knows? Who's to say what you're actually saying right now? You just told me it was a profoundly wrong statement. But feel, you were wrong before. I feel like you're within throwing distance. It's very heavy. <laughs> that is mug. a heavy, heavy mug. I yeah. should just shut up. There you're we right. are. That's that would never it's now that we've been reminded of our places in the natural order. Oh <laughs> And that's how the ghost story guys had an on air arm wrestle. <laughs> Don't sass your betters. <laughs> Elders. <laughs> Elders. Elders. You're the elder now? No, no you. Oh. Wait, who's sassing? Never mind. Fuck, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Can you tell we're punchy? <laughs> let's get started with our listener stories. This first story actually comes from Kara, who's uh, the founder of Equinox Paranormal in Florida. Uh, She says, We're a small group of paranormal researchers and consultants located in central Florida along the Gulf Coast. If you're interested in the paranormal happenings of Florida, I'd like to share with you two stories, one from an investigation and another from my personal life. I'm originally from Michigan myself. Like most of us, I heard all the crazy stories coming out of Florida. After living here for about 10 years now, I can attest that it is as weird down here as you might expect. That's kind of cool. 
Specifically, there appears to be a higher than average level of paranormal activity. This state is full of legends, from cryptids like the skunk ape to the ghost lights in Oviedo, and it's completely saturated with stories of restless spirits. I know there's uh, that Mark Muncy has put out, I think, two different books about weird Florida. Oh, so there's, Florida is weird. The yeah. swamp holds a lot of secrets. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, almost yeah. forget about the swamp. It's all water and mist. Right. You're going to get weird shit. <laughs> and and stab. And alligators. Mostly stab. Yeah, and alligators. Oh, and boa constrictors that have been released into the wild are now breeding without any control. Oh, good. It's a serious problem there. Really? Yes. I watched a, one of those like um, reality shows about boa constrictor hunters. Oh, it's insane. Nope, hard pass. I know. I moved to Florida in 2008 after graduating college. With my interest in the paranormal, I began looking into the local lore. It wasn't long before I came across numerous eyewitness reports online about near-constant paranormal activity happening in a small African-American cemetery. Established in 1858, it served the burial needs of the local African-American community during the days of segregation. I'm going to withhold the name and location of the cemetery because, unfortunately, it has been the target of vandals and hosts to other criminal activity. Of course it has. Mm -hmm. uh, also, due to its age and to preserve the more ancient graves, the current caretaker is trying to cut down on unnecessary foot traffic, which, again, I understand. Paranormal groups that had visited this location in the past reported capturing voices on audio and strange figures in their pictures. There were many accounts of a dark entity that people called the Watcher that was said to stalk people as they walked around the cemetery and would chase after their vehicles as they drove away. It's kind of like the shadow person story from uh, that singer yeah, in the absolutely. last episode. Yeah. There are a lot of urban legends associated with this graveyard as well. One told of a tree in the cemetery where the image of a lynched man could be seen at dusk, swinging from the largest bough. Though I wasn't able to find reports of a specific lynching occurring in the cemetery, this area does have a dark history. The country where this takes place had a lynching rate 10 times higher than the overall rate in Florida at the time, between 1900 and 1931, which is second only to Mississippi. Holy cats. Yeah. And, you know, there's a point, um, I think it was Rachel raised this point. Lynching is, obviously, it's a commonly accepted word. That's murder. Oh, J just, yeah. Just just so we make sure that we, we make that connection. Yeah. This is murder. Yes. It, you know, lynching it makes it sound like something else. Yeah. It's murder. Yeah, These absolutely. poor motherfuckers were murdered. Yeah, just, absolutely. I just want to make that clear. Another frequently told story was of a large meat grinder located somewhere in the surrounding forest that was used by the Ku Klux Klan to grind up the bodies of their victims. Ugh. Jesus. Not cool. Though there were, and still are, reports of clan activity in this area, the meat grinder story is completely bogus. Well, thank God. Yeah, no kidding. It turns out what people labeled as a grinder was actually a piece of machinery left over from an old irrigation system for nearby orange groves. Uh, Jesus. That people. makes sense. Well, that, that's better, but... But people come up with shit, right? Yeah. And this is what you always get pissy about, is that, oh, <laughs> X, Y, or Z me, happened... Me personally. The, yes. Yes, that's fair. X, Y, or Z happened, therefore, this place is haunted by that. Right. Yeah. Well, that, in that case, they're just making shit up. But also. that's what people do. Oh, everyone gets a kick in the penis. <laughs> when it comes to investigating historic cemeteries, especially if they have sensitive histories like this one, I'd like to share some advice for other groups out there. Never visit these locations at night unless you have total permission from the owner or caretaker. If you are met by a locked gate, even during the day, don't enter. If you have to hop a fence, you're probably doing something wrong. Be respectful of the people resting there and their families. Absolutely. Don't ask aggressive or taunting questions during your EVP sessions. And if you get a persistent feeling that you are unwanted, leave as soon as possible. And it should go without saying, do not take anything from the graves. Yep. I know a lot of this might sound like common sense, but unfortunately there have been recent reports of grave robbing and desecration at this and other cemeteries in the area. In this particular cemetery, there was an incident in 2009 where a pair of teenagers broke into a shallow grave and stole a skull. When they were caught, the boys said they were just ghost hunting. 
Wow. I would have just put him in the fucking ground. That's what I would have done. <laughs> Jesus. In October of 2017, I was finally able to visit the cemetery personally, and I was joined by another member of our team. It's located in a rural area down a narrow and deeply rutted dirt road where Spanish moss hangs lazily overhead from an archway of tree branches. I love Spanish moss. I can moss. see it. I know. There is a place here where it grows. Really? St. Stephen's Cemetery in St. Stephen's Sanderson. It's on a side road. You go down a road. Oh, no. The old, I, old church. I know that place. It's one of the only places on the island where Spanish moss grows. Really? Because it's in this weird little microclimate. Oh. Really pretty graveyard. It, it is, yeah. And we, I told you that story about the Scooby Furs. No. How I was I was doing a ghost walk. And there was a building across from me, and it said Scooby on it. It's closed for a long, long time, and I didn't know what it was. And I kind of, and I said to the person I was with, I'm like, "Oh, that's weird. I wonder what that is. Like, was it a nightclub? Like, I don't know what it is." Very next day, I happened to go for a walk with my friend in the graveyard in Sanderson. We're walking along, and all of a sudden, I see it exactly the same print as what was on the building. No. And it was Mr. and Mrs. Scooby, S-C-U-B-Y, by the way, not Scooby-Doo. Oh, I'm glad you pointed that out. And they were furriers. Oh, no shit. And they were both laid to rest in this graveyard that was literally right there, like right. I'll be damned. Yeah, the next day. So weird. Anyway, sorry. No, that's Segwayed fine. off. Knowing that other people reported getting stuck on this road or even having their tires fall off, I kept my fingers crossed that we wouldn't meet the same fate as my Ford Focus violently rumbled forward. We had limited amount of equipment with us, a digital recorder to capture audio, and a digital camera for still photos and short videos, as this was just supposed to be a preliminary visit for us to get a feel for the place. We arrived at 10 a.m. on a bright warm day, and as we walked to the grounds under a clear blue sky, we both began to feel as if we were being watched from the woods surrounding us on all sides. It also didn't help my nerves that there were intermittent gunshots that exploded from somewhere nearby. Oh, Florida. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that's it. I've got family who live in the interior, and... There are deer in the neighborhood. Yeah. Some idiots have taken sh to shooting at them or hunting them. Oh, my God. They're hunting in the deer in a residential neighborhood. Oh, Jesus. Right. Because what could possibly go no, wrong? No, nothing. When we were exploring the back half of the cemetery, we experienced the heaviest moments of uneasiness. And this is also where we captured the most audio evidence. As we were asking questions aloud, we heard a woman speak from a back corner. We walked to that area and continued asking questions as audio rolled. Reading a name from a nearby headstone, I asked, Mary, was it you that we heard speak? My partner heard an answer at the time, though I did not. However, we did capture a faint yet sarcastic reply of, yep, to my question. In the other back corner, I heard disembodied footsteps approaching me slowly from behind. We captured this measured crunching of dry grass on audio, along with me audibly gasping as I heard it. Though the activity we experienced left us uneasy at times, the general sense of the cemetery was peaceful. Even still, neither of us could shake the feeling of being watched from beyond the tree line. When I later reviewed the pictures I had taken, I discovered three separate humanoid shadow figures with defined heads and shoulders, each one located somewhere along the fence. Oh, wow. Since these figures appeared in shadowy areas thick with foliage, to be fair, what I'm seeing could be a case of pareidolia. However, it would explain the uneasiness that both my partner and I felt when we were there. An interesting paranormal experience from my personal life that I think might interest you happened in June of 2016. I was driving home from a friend's house very late one night, probably around midnight, ahead of me, I saw the silhouette of a man slowly walk onto the road. Since he was coming from a residential area and headed toward a gas station at the nearby intersection, I assumed he was probably drunk and out for a pack of cigarettes or something, so I started to slow down. Under the street lights, he was all in shadow, but I could see that he was tall and thin, probably in his 20s or 30s, wearing long baggy pants and a tightly fitting tank top. He sauntered in front of my car with his shoulders hunched forward before coming to a stop in the center lane of the road. 
Then he slowly craned his neck and looked up into the sky. I was going at about 20 miles an hour as I passed by him, and once he was at my driver's side window, he began to disappear. The transparency started at his feet and faded upwards, and he was gone in a matter of seconds. Wow. That's incredible. I've never heard of anything like that. No. During the time he dissipated, he was so close to me that if my window had been down, I could have stuck my arm out and easily touched him, if there was anything there to touch. Luckily, the fascination I have for this subject overrode the shock that any normal person might have felt in that moment, and I immediately began to cheer excitedly, Holy shit, I just saw a shadow person! (laughs) I haven't been able to identify who this man was, but... I do know that there have been numerous fatal accidents at that intersection. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that's... Uh, have you seen the movie Midnight... Why am I asking? Midnight Special? No. Okay. Uh, I don't want to give away the end of it. It's, it's really good. Okay. But uh, it just it, it involves the possibility of parallel worlds. Right, right. And okay. uh, it makes me think of something like that. You know, some guy who just crossed over briefly and... Yeah. You know, beam me up and then he's gone. Cool. This story comes from one of our listeners, Rin, who was kind enough to share a story with us. When I was a teen, for several summers, there was a light in the sky southeast from me. It would appear to be a star coming out as night came on, but around 10 or 11, it would slowly rise at an angle to the left, stop, drop at the opposite angle, stop, then fly horizontal until it was at its original spot where it would stop. Triangles in the night sky, over and over. I assume it continued long after I fell asleep. After the first couple times, I made marks on the window frame and windows so I could tell if it was in the same place each night. It was. No idea what it was or if it continued after we moved. Interesting. That is interesting. That's really neat. I wonder what the hell that was. I mean, UFO (sighs) shit is sort of out of our purview. Yeah, and why would a UFO just do the same thing over and over? (laughs) Yeah, that's true too. Um, Well, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. There's that book from 65 by Trevor James called They Live in the Sky. Right. And he puts forward this idea that there are animals living in the upper atmosphere the way there are at the bottom of the sea. Oh, that we have no idea about. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Sort of almost like like, uh, infra, uh, what's ultraviolet. Right. They they sort of live in the ultraviolet spectrum, almost like big bacteria or... Like Falco the Luck Dragon? Who? Didn't you ever see The NeverEnding Story? No. <gasps> a movie I've seen that you haven't? <laughs> I want to hear from people if you've seen The NeverEnding Story because... Oh, I'm sure they have. It's I, a major I'm, deal. I'm, I'm familiar with... He's a big dog, right? Oh, he's a luck dragon, you savage. Okay. So it's the thing yeah, I'm, he looks like a big dog. Okay. Yeah, I, I, know, I know it from Robot Chicken. Oh. <laughs> no. You need to see The NeverEnding Story. Okay, I will do this. It was done for kids, but it's way beyond kids. All right. They tried to do a second one. Right. Fucking disaster. It was terrible. Yeah, that well, the name alone sort of implies that it should be a standalone story. Yeah. (laughs) The NeverEnding Story and Addendum. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's right, yeah. Not a catchy title. The NeverEnding Story continues. (laughs) But it was really, really, really good. Oh, okay. Yeah. I will check this out. Thank you for sharing that with us, Rin. This next one is from Patricia. She says... So, this house is mostly devoid of anything paranormal. My husband had it built in 2000, and this area had been fields for generations before that. I've never seen or felt anything off here, but we do have a playful house elf slash brownie slash something. I'm a chaotic person by nature. I misplace things regularly, stuff gets messed up, and I blame myself. Lately, though, there are two standout incidents that prove we have something else at play. I lost my car and house keys a month or so ago. We figured I'd forgotten to hang them up on the key rack by the door. I tore the house apart for days. We both looked at every set of keys on that rack multiple times. No one, my spouse, my son, or myself, looked for them elsewhere but me. 
Finally, I spoke to the house spirits as I'd been taught and asked them to please return my keys. I left a sparkly ring in a protected corner near the key rack as a gift. The next morning, they were back on the rack. No one had been near the key rack since my appeal. Wow. Yeah. Did they take the ring? I, I, I wonder. That's what I want to know. Interesting. In story. Patricia, if you're still out there, let us know. Yeah. And um, it's funny because the way that was phrased, I lost my car and house keys. They took the car? <laughs> That's my fault. I read that badly. <laughs> it was car slash house. It'd but I... be a way cooler story if they stole the car as well. Ian, grammar Nazi gifts. <laughs> no, no, no. I just I enjoy it. <laughs> Very happy for you. Okay, good. Yesterday's spouse audited the key rack and discovered that the spare key to my van was missing. I looked a little and resolved to tear the house apart later. I made a quiet appeal to the spirits before I went upstairs. And again, no one was in the living room all night. And at five this morning, the key was back on the hook. Cool. Son is at camp. Spouse swore to God. That's a serious oath to him. I plan to start leaving a regular offering to the land and spirits. And maybe I will lose fewer things. And yes, I said thank you both times. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, the more I think about this and the longer you and I have done this, the more I feel like that's just a good idea. Absolutely. You know, six, seven years ago, you told me that I'd be leaving offering to spirits. I would have said you're nuts. <laughs> but... You know, I, I remember when I had that shamanic encounter, you know, that sort of yeah. random thing that happened. Yeah. One of the things he said is to always try and remember to leave a little bit of food off to the side as an offering. And you don't have to make a huge ceremony of it. Right. And just remember to do this. And I try to do that. I, I forget some, a lot of the time. Yeah, I've seen you when you're like literally licking the plate clean. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> Brennan, Jesus, at least use I, your hands. I paid for that grease. <laughs> Damn it. Now, in Japan, I believe they do that. You oh, always really? have a few grains of rice. Right. But Japanese children are taught there's something like seven gods in each grain of rice. And it's a thing about respecting your food and and taking it seriously. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's not a bad idea. So thank you for sharing that with us, yeah. Patricia. And let us know. That was back in June. So if you're still listening and if anything has changed, uh, let us if know. If we happened. haven't offended you so deeply that you've stopped listening, <laughs> we'd love to know. Which, you know, is possible. If they took the ring. Yeah. And, and just again, if anything else has happened since then. And what sort of offerings do you leave? I'm curious. That's what I want to know. Yeah. That's a good question too. Yeah. I mean, I sort of would always think food. I mean, I know in the stories I've heard. I know you always <laughs> think you. food. No, but I mean, in the stories I've heard, people have left milk. Okay. Or, or bread. Right. You know, so I, um, it's the first I've heard of someone offering a bobble or a trinket. Yeah. You know, which I'd it, love to know. Yeah, yeah. This comes from our listener friend, Andrew. At the time of this story, I was a photojournalist in Dallas-Fort Worth at one of the TV stations. One of my favorite things to do was to shoot video essays of old buildings. The Baker Hotel is an hour and a half west of Fort Worth in the city of Mineral Wells. While covering news stories out that way, I was always fascinated by the white elephant sitting in this small Texas town. It literally looms over Mineral Wells. 14 stories tall with 450 rooms in a slight V-shape with a 35-foot tower and a spooky but beautiful Spanish colonial architecture. The hotel was opened in 1929 to take advantage of the natural health craze during that part of the century, and Mineral Wells' water with its small amount of lithium drew people from around the world. Many guests staying months at a time. All the A-list movie stars of the 1930s through the 1960s stayed at the Baker. Bonnie and Clyde were said to have had their last steak dinner at the Baker before leaving for their final shootout in Louisiana. The Baker closed for good in 1972. 
After contacting the property manager and asking for permission to do the video essay, I went out and was not disappointed. I interviewed some people that worked there in its heyday. The video turned out great. It does seem some old buildings lure people to them, and the baker drew me in. I became good friends with the building manager and the locals that gave tours on the weekends. <gasps> I want to go. Before I knew it, I was doing tours every Saturday. This lasted for two and a half years. It was a blast taking people around the hotel. There were times I felt like there were spirits around, but they seemed to like me. I can say there were times on some of the floors, not used to the tours, that I felt like I was almost walking through a crowd. But nothing ever tried to show itself or scare me. A good thing, as it would have been quite easy. During the holiday season and my final few months at the hotel, it was decided that the maintenance man and I would hang Christmas lights on the exterior of the building, from the top to the bottom. It was quite an undertaking for two people, but we did it. I ended up on a floor I'd never been to before, securing lights to the window frames. It was creepy, but nothing strange happened. I'm sure I muttered a few times into thin air that I was just working and I would be gone soon. The lights went up without a hitch, and the hotel looked amazing. For the first time in 30 years, the baker was lit for Christmas. Up to that point, I had not been at the hotel at night. It was different at night, to be sure. At that time, the grand lobby was still in decent shape. With the darkness and the chandeliers lit, all the dust and water damage just faded away. You had the feeling at any moment a bill captain would tap you on the shoulder and politely offer to take your bags. I was proud of the Christmas lights and wanted to show them off to a girlfriend I'd only been dating for a couple of weeks. So on a cold December night, Emily and I arrived at the baker. I'll confess that I was nervous about being in the hotel at night, but as the man, I put those fears aside. As long as I had a flashlight, I would be okay. The hotel looked amazing as we got into town. You could see the lights from miles away. My fellow tour guides had turned on the lobby lights for me earlier in the evening to make it easier to navigate. I showed Emily around the lobby. It's quite beautiful with heavy Spanish iron chandeliers and eerie gothic plaster faces looking down from the pillars. She seemed interested, if not a little distracted. I could understand, but I was staying strong. I figured if I got nervous, she would freak out. After the lobby tour was completed, I ushered her to the original hand-crank elevators, art deco doors and all, and headed to the top floor for a tour of the cloud room, with windows that overlooked the city and then on to the tower. We stepped in, and I moved to my left to operate the crank. As I looked up, I noticed that she was wedged in the corner diagonal to me, as far away as she could get. I thought this was strange. She looked really uncomfortable, but I carried on. I get that a lot in elevators with people. Men and women, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> she looked uncomfortable, but I carried on. I have a tendency to overlook the obvious. It's like you guys are brothers. <laughs> I left the doors open so I could see which floors were passing. Each is marked on the concrete floor as you go by. Floor after floor sped by. I slowed to the top floor. My friend stayed in the corner and said nothing. All the other numbers were marked in white paint. Oddly, the top floor said cloud room in red. Trying to be funny, I said red rum. Emily had never seen The Shining, but found out later she somehow heard murder. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's really going to calm her down. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, I'm in an abandoned building with a man I don't know that well. And he Perfect. just said murder. And he just said Good murder. Good times. We got out of the elevator and I showed her around the cloud room. She stuck very close to me. I could tell at that point she was freaked out. 
but I was determined to show her the tower which is accessed on that floor. I didn't know at the time that getting back in the elevator was the best thing to do. She knew, and I would find that out later. After a short look around the cloud room, we headed behind the elevators to a dark hallway that led to the tower access. I thought the tower would be romantic. Remember what I said about missing the obvious? Yikes. The air was tense at this point, but I had not had anything happen that would turn me back. Honestly, if I thought something was up, I would have been out of there. I just thought she was nervous about being in this spooky building. With a flashlight lighting the way, we made the turn to the hallway to the tower, Emily behind me. It was around that point I was catching on that something was definitely up. Genius, huh? About halfway down the hallway, she literally jumped on my back, damn near knocking me over. Scared the shit out of me, and I asked her what was wrong. She only said she heard something behind us. Being only steps away from the tower, I carried on. I know, what is wrong with me, the poor girl. But I wanted to get to the top and show her the 35-foot windows that overlook the city. And I must admit, I wanted to see them at night too. The tower is super creepy, even during the day, so you can only imagine what it is like at night. The lower portion of the tower houses the old-fashioned original motors for the elevator and a spooky water tank, <laughs> ask Eliza Lamb, in the middle. Ooh. Boo. Too soon? Never too soon. I think it's always too soon. <laughs> and a spooky water tank in the middle. A spire metal staircase leads up to the top of the tower. Well, we didn't quite make it all the way up. Emily stopped about halfway, only steps away from our destination. I could tell she was ready to get the fuck out. There was nothing romantic about any of this. I didn't press on moving forward. We made our way back to the elevator. Again, she pressed herself diagonally from me into the corner of the elevator. It seemed even stranger this time since she was stuck to me during the entire time on the top floor and tower. We made it back to the lobby. No problem. It was a relief to be away from the darkness of the upper floor and have an exit in sight. Back in the light of the lobby, I could tell she was ready to get out of there. Both of us laughed a little uncomfortably. She wanted to step outside. We sat on the steps, both relieved to be in the fresh air, and I asked her if she was okay. This is what Emily told me, what she saw and heard. When we first went into the elevator, she saw three people standing in the middle, two women and a man dressed in clothes from the 30s or 40s. They were as real as you or me. That's why she was pressed into the corner. She told me they were caretakers of the hotel, and that they knew me and were curious about why I was at the hotel so late at night. She said they were not there to be harmful, but from her perspective, they must have been frightening. With all this said, we can assume this girl was seriously empathic. Like I said earlier, I didn't know her that well. She said that the caretakers followed us back onto the elevator and to the lobby. As we sat outside in the cold air with the lobby in sight through windows, I asked her if they were still there. She looked over her shoulder and said they were gone. We stopped dating after our little tour to Mineral Wells. Yikes. Yeah, that's going to kill any that, kind that of would relationship. Do it, yeah. yeah. And uh, and thank you, Andrew, for sharing that. I, I'm going to say this, though, and I think this is, you know, given all the shit that's going on in the news right now, or, I mean, right now, not probably not when this, hopefully not when this comes out. Right. Folks, gents, always, always be mindful of your partner's state of mind. Yes. If you are out with a woman and watch her body language. Yep. Pay attention to this shit. If she looks uncomfortable, even in the slightest, ask. Check you, in. Check in. Always check in. Yeah. You know, just... Do it. It's yeah. not hard. It's not as yeah. hard as it sounds. And and he said, like, oh, I was trying to be the man. Which means he knew something was wrong. Yes. And he ignored it. Yeah. 
And Andrew, we love the story. Thank you for sending Absolutely. it in. Absolutely. So cool. We just, I think this is a good opportunity to say this because I think dudes have to say this to other dudes. And you know what? I think Andrew probably would now. Absolutely. Yeah, I know no, he seems to have to have caught it on. He learned. Yep. He sure, <laughs> he sure has. I remember a friend of mine. We were in, uh, what's that shitty burger restaurant? Pff, Old people. Yeah. No, it's a chain one. Red Robin. Oh, yeah. And we were in there and he says to me, uh, he was talking, you know, the waitress was quite friendly. And he said, also. Oh, how do we go about asking a waitress out? I said, oh, you, you don't. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, no, you don't. You just don't. It, you put her in a horrible position. Yeah. Because she's paid to be nice to you. That's right. So then you make her feel <clears throat> awkward because now she probably doesn't, I'll be honest, probably doesn't want this thing because yeah. I'm sure she gets asked it all the time. Yeah. And now she has to figure out how to navigate still being nice to you while saying no. Yeah. I said, you, you just don't. No. And he said, well, how am I supposed to meet her then? I said, well, maybe you run into her in the street sometime. Or maybe you don't. But you don't fucking ask her out while she's waiting. You can leave table. your number on a napkin. Sure. Yep. Balls in her court. And then, but yeah. And most waitresses I know, and I was a waiter at one point, so I, I knew a few waitresses. The fact that you're a customer automatically removes you from the dating sure. pool. Right? Yeah. Like, it's just not going to happen. Well, you know, I was, I was, you and I, of course, have both done the secret shopper thing. Yeah. Uh, and there's one particular restaurant we always end up at. Yep. And... You know, the, the things that are expected of the servers. Oh, it's incredible. And no, I'm not surprised there's mixed signals. Yeah. Because they are, like, they're forced to display, I think, an irrational amount of interest in you. Yeah. It's because a bit like when people fall in love with their therapist. Oh, I never It's because in our society, we don't have people who listen to us generally. Right. So if you have someone who takes an hour and shows completely undivided attention on you. Right. People are going to take that the wrong way. Oh, man. We were talking about this the other day, weren't we? There was Oh, right. It was the genetic familiarity thing. Yes. Yeah, because we have this... We, we have to filter everything through sex. Right. You know, right. so it, no matter what the strange feeling we're getting is, we assume, oh, well, it must be bone. must time. be tied to my genitalia. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Highway to the bone zone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So this one comes from Lydia in Cincinnati. I've never been to Ohio. Oh, that's not true. I've been to... Gallipolis, very briefly across the bridge from Point Pleasant. Yeah, never been. This is Lydia's story from Cincinnati. I wanted to tell you guys about a house my family lived in when we first moved to Cincinnati. The house was a newly refurbished carriage house of the historic Wiedemann Hill Mansion. The mansion itself has a history and hauntings all its own, which I can definitely tell you more about if you'd like, but my personal experiences were in the carriage house. The estate was finished in 1894, changed hands many times, at one point even belonging to the Catholic Church. The carriage house building we lived in had the original 1894 structure, but it had been made into a home recently. It was a beautiful place, and had been redone six years before we moved in in 2012. No one had lived there in the time since it was finished because the developer had gone bankrupt, and if I remember correctly, he may have died shortly after giving up on the project. Since we were the first people to live there after major renovations, I think we got the brunt of a lot of stirred-up activity. Although the house was aesthetically new and beautiful, it felt old and heavy. We all experienced a feeling of always being watched, being unwelcome, and not ever wanting to be home alone. When I was home alone, I would lock the doors going to the outside in the garage, only to come out of my room a few minutes later to find them wide open. Note the front doors locked exclusively with a heavy deadbolt, and the upstairs doors were sliding. This kind of reminds, sounds like that the problem you had with uh, the home alarm system in your house sitting <laughs> the other day. Yep. Yikes. <laughs> the bathroom doors would also be flung open, much to everyone's annoyance for obvious reasons. There are a handful of times I remember distinctly I was so scared I could hardly move, and I am not easily scared of anything. One of the times was when I came out of the laundry room and looked down the hall to the garage door. I saw the handle shake, the lock pop, 
and the doors swing open. Not cool. No. No lights were on except the laundry room. I heard something move with a whoosh, and I felt wind, like something had run past me. I remember yelling something along the lines of, I'll fight you, this is my house now, and it's not funny, go away. I ran to my room and stayed there the rest of the night. That's badass. <laughs> you were going to fight some ghosts. Yeah, except I'll fight you, and then you run to your room and won't come out. Except, well, <laughs> another time I saw something moving around my mother's room in the middle of the day. It looked and sounded like her from the corner of my eye. Red hair, purple sweater, and jeans going from the closet across to the doorway into her bathroom, back and forth. It would mumble to itself sometimes, just like she does when she's doing chores. The problem was, my mother was in Florida at the time. Yeah, not cool. No, that isn't, that's exactly what she wrote, not cool. (laughs) My mother had arguably the worst experience of anyone. One night, she was asleep in her bed when she woke up to wait on top and around her. She said it felt like a huge snake. On multiple occasions, we would hear other family members calling our names, or even on several occasions having full conversations with us, only to find out that no one was home. That is a literal nightmare of mine. Well, and it it kind of ties in with that um, mimicry where something is trying to get in. Yeah, yeah. Except this is already in. Holy shit. I don't know if that's cool or not. No, that is is not cool in every possible way something could not be cool. I, I had that ghost say my name in the alleyway, and even that freaked me out. Yeah. I, knew who, I knew who it was, and I still, I'm not cool that he knows my name. <laughs> no, no, no. And we've talked about this on past episodes. The idea that there's something out there mimicking us. Yes. And why? Yeah. What? Why is it doing this? This This is deeply uncomfortable. It's even in some of your horror stories where people disappear. Yeah. 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 I know something that imitates people to lure you into other parts of the house is a big nope. Yeah, we're with you right there. There you go. Yeah. The thing that I think is almost comical of all the experiences is a shadow cat. We have a living cat. But we would often have two cats, the other being spectral. We would be sitting in the living room watching TV with a living cat in our lap and yet see the other cat walk up the stairs into my parents' bedroom. My living cat would often chase it and would run straight into the closet back wall and look confused why it could go through, but she couldn't. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, I have to say Shadow Cat, going to be on Ghost Force. <laughs> Has to be. Of course. Has to oh, be. How Nathaniel I... and Kiki. The Shadow Cat. Has to be. Shadow Cat. <laughs> I don't know, the way you said it there kind of sounds like one of those 1-900 numbers. Oh. Shadow cat. Stop it. Did we not just say everything doesn't have to be sexual? Did did. we not just say that? I don't know that I agreed to that. Yeah, you're right. Aside from just the ghostly stuff, the house also had some unusual physical problems. It was always cold, like so cold the light switches in the living room froze over. That's cold. This is nuts. This place is nuts. We had all kinds of plumbing issues with broken pipes, and there was a large sinkhole in the front yard shortly before we moved out. (laughs) As there is. No kidding. Jesus. My mother and I are absolutely convinced the land is cursed and think the Wiedemans may have had too many seances on the land. Could be that. I mean, Jesus, it could just, again, be sort of nature spirits. Well, but if all you did was call spirits to come to you and you didn't close that off and you just kept calling more and more and more. Right. That cannot be a recipe for a calm and relaxed spiritual atmosphere in your home. True, but I guess we we don't know the history of the Wiedemanns. We don't know whether or not we could say they did that. No, you but know? too many seances implies there were one too many seances. Right, right. But but even then, we don't know the seances no, were No, no, I, I totally uh, get it. I totally get it. But uh, I, I tend to think the stuff is not necessarily, I don't know. I mean, I guess you, if you're having a lot of those kinds of things, you, you're going to draw a crowd. Yeah. But just, I wonder if it's something about the land, too. I, 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 it I could always, be a lightning rod, right? Yeah, that, that's it. The following story is from uh, listener Erica, and they're told in a few parts here. 
Here is a story from my mother's family. In 1901, my great-grandfather Hans set out for America from Switzerland. Shortly after arriving in America, he ran out of money. Being determined to make the best of his bad situation, Hans began taking odd jobs and stowing away on the railroad as he made his way out west. He eventually heard of a small Swiss-German settlement, which is now Stettler, Alberta. <gasps> I've been there. Really? Yes. Yeah, Stettler, huh. Alberta is one of the few places they still play my album on the Christian radio station. No way. Yes. Yeah, so that is so weird. <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry. I, I know the Lord. Shut I up. Know the Lord. No, you don't. <laughs> no, no. He doesn't don't. even like you. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not very likable. <laughs> He's like, nope, too late. He's with the other guy. <laughs> He eventually heard of a small Swiss-German settlement, which is now Stettler, Alberta, and made his way north into Canada, arriving in 1903. He soon discovered an unclaimed piece of land by Lone Pine Lake. Mentioning this to others in town, he quickly learned that another newcomer had an interest in the land as well. Using skills he undoubtedly learned from his time as a stowaway, Hans made the 60-mile journey to Red Deer to file his claim ahead of the other newcomer. After Hans returned from filing his claim, he discovered that the newcomer he beat was someone he had run into during his time as a stowaway. This man was a bit on the dangerous side, whatever that meant at the time, but was a very exciting acquaintance for my great-grandfather. If he was dangerous for back then, I have to assume it's he was born of fire and made of knives. Yeah, pretty much. Because everyone was dangerous back then. You the had to be. babies were dangerous. You, you had you to Snap be. your neck like Steven Seagal. <laughs> Hans busied himself with clearing his land and building a small cabin, all the while being social and friendly with the newcomer. In 1905, Hans's sister came to Canada to see the life that her brother had made for himself. Unimpressed with his bachelor lifestyle, his sister returned to Switzerland, determined to find Hans a wife. In early 1907, my great-grandmother, Hedwig, began her journey to Canada to meet her well-to-do future husband. This early part of the story is pretty basic for that time and was shared with Hans's family back home through letters. However, the next details have not been shared publicly. This is likely due to the family's general faith and commitment to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It was only shared with the Canadian family line. As was Hans' sister, Hedwig was unimpressed with her new husband's lifestyle. Beyond the rough life of a settler in the new country, Hans was not quite the well-to-do religious man she was promised. He lived a bachelor lifestyle, and his good friend had a darkness that she couldn't understand. Hedwig was not about to go against her marriage vows, so she persisted. Hedwig urged Hans to return to his religious upbringing as they started a family. Hans was reluctant, but began to spend less time with his unsavory friend and replaced it with time spent with his new wife and the church. As many a relationship has gone, <laughs> many a broship has ended. One early morning, Hedwig was in the kitchen area of their home while Hans slept. As she prepared the fire, the front door flung open, and she could hear footsteps moving towards where Hans was sleeping. She couldn't see anyone. She then heard the same footsteps returning to the door and the door slamming behind. Afraid, she ran to Hans. He was pale and looked as though all the blood had been drained from him. He claimed that he woke, being choked by his friend who was floating above him. Hans had fingerprints on his neck. Not long after, Hans and Hedwig came across a friend in town. Hedwig noted the friend had a darker, menacing presence. The friend chuckled and asked Hans how he'd been sleeping. With his new wife visibly shaken, Hans confessed to his wife that he and the friend had been dabbling in witchcraft, but that he thought it was harmless fun. He also confessed there had been some strange occurrences happening to him from the time of her arrival, but that he hadn't thought much of it. Hedwig demanded that Hans make a full commitment to the church. 
They cleared their home of any items tied to the friend and had the space blessed by the local minister. It's believed that the friend never returned to the home in any form and left the Stetler area. The years passed with Hans and Hedwig raising a family of four in the home. There was some mention of the trouble from the past, but the family focused on their commitment to their faith and the church. On the night of Hedwig's death in 1974, my grandmother woke to find her mother standing at the end of her bed. Without hesitation, my grandmother called out to her father's past acquaintance, telling him to leave her and the family alone. The figure of her mother vanished. The occurrence forced my grandmother to tell her children their grandfather's story. Since then, my family, while not all that actively religious, has an understanding that you do not dabble with the darkness. There is a one more part to Erica's story. Uh, she tells a story from the North Pacific Cannery National Historic Site in Port Edward, B.C. I'm not actually familiar with Port Edward. Never heard of it. In the fall of 2007, I joined a group of about 20 on a cultural visit to Port Edward, B.C. Although the tourist season was over, the site's historian opened the space to accommodate our visit. As we toured the work areas, we were told the expected stories of the many immigrants who came from Asia to work and send money home. Instead of listening to the guide, all I could focus on was how sad the place felt, like there was a cloud of hopelessness over everything. As we left the main building, we split into small groups to explore the rest of the space. There were various small buildings that stretched away from the work area. After viewing some of the buildings said to be part of everyday business, we came upon buildings where workers stayed. I felt a heaviness pass over me, and I knew we shouldn't be there. I left the group and made my way back to the work area close to where we had parked. Shortly after, another person from the tour also left the group. She couldn't understand it, but she felt we weren't welcome. Seeing us waiting, the historian came over to speak with us. We mentioned how we felt, and he said that some visitors feel that way. Even some staff do not like to stay alone at the cannery. As we waited for the group to return from the tour, the feeling of being unwelcome grew stronger. The other tour guests noted that there was someone watching us from the building across the road. The historian said that was impossible, as that building was off-limits. They double-checked, however, and that building was locked. The other tour guest and I saw what we can only describe as a shift in the darkness. Understandably, we decided to wait in the car off the grounds. <laughs> yeah, good call. <laughs> yep. The others in the group did not have any experiences. Lucky them. Well, thank you again, Erica. So this next story comes from Ron. There is something I have noticed as of late. A lot of terrifying stories about entities with malevolent intent. And I can see why that is. These stories are entertaining and give us a glimpse of a world that is otherwise hidden from us. I believe your podcast has helped bring to light the stories and experiences of everyday people without sensationalizing, ridiculing them, or even elevating them to something they are not just for the sake of ratings. You have given a voice to your audience and offered us a safe platform in which to share our stories, and you enhance our experiences with your own so that we feel connected to a larger group through your stories. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ron. That's high praise, actually. Absolutely. I, I usually cut those parts of the message out because I just want the story, but no, that, that feels very nice. Thank you. I would like to share two stories with you and your audience. These two stories are different than some of the others and they involve, dare I say, benevolent entities. Are there such things? Well, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, fear sells, but yeah, no, there are good things too. <laughs> now I come from a deeply Catholic family, but unlike other religious people, we do embrace the paranormal. We do not pretend to understand it or say that all the answers are in the Bible, but we acknowledge the presence of something beyond our comprehension and that it needs to be approached with respect. I figured that you, Ian, a recovering Catholic, and you, Brennan, a closet Catholic. Now, <laughs> you, you were not Catholic, no. though. No. Anglican, which Ang is like the Protestant version of Catholic. Right, okay. So close enough. Yeah, so I, I am a recovering Catholic. You are. Yes. Uh, but we would appreciate not all people of faith deny or unwilling to speak about this topic. The first story comes from my mother. 
It was a full-body apparition encounter she had when she was a teenager. Back then, my mom occasionally stayed at her older sister's house as it was closer to her high school than my grandma's. Since my aunt's house was rather small, without enough bedrooms to accommodate visitors for in any period, my mom used to sleep on the couch in the living room, which was next to the kitchen and separated by a wall. As was customary of early 20th century houses, the kitchen had a door. I saw this tweet the other day that most paranormal stories are just about floor plans. <laughs> They're just architectural stories. I love that. <laughs> Stairs, doorways, walls. Yeah, there was closets. a 35 degree angle. And it was, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, in the window. Yeah, funny enough, I think there's two people who said that at the same time. That's very funny. It is, yeah. And sadly true. Yes. During one of my mom's many overnight stays at her sister's, as she lay to sleep on the couch, she heard her name being called loud enough to wake her, but not so loud as to scare the crap out of her. The way she describes it, it seems as it seems that it was almost tender. So tender, in fact, that she thought it was her older sister waking her up because she had overslept. When my mom opened her eyes, she saw a lady with long, flowing black hair and a kind smile. My mom did not recognize her, but figured she was half asleep and not yet in possession of all her cognitive abilities. The woman smiled, stood up, walked above the floor, not on top, but was slightly floating above the floor out of the living room and into the kitchen. My mom got up, folded her blankets, and proceeded to get ready to go to school in one of the bathrooms. When she came out, she noticed that the house was dark and quiet, which was unusual as people should be getting ready for the day. So into the kitchen she went, and there was no one. She then went to her sister's room, and there she was, fast asleep. At that time, the clock chimed 4 a.m., which was earlier than the usual time they used to wake up, but not so early as to be inconvenient. Interesting, though, that it happened in the 3 o'clock hour. I know. We've been talking about that. Yes, we have. I woke up again last night at 3 o'clock. No. Oh, yeah. Like 0300? Not, not exactly, but between 3 and 4. Yeah. No. I did, too. Really? Yeah. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. So what did my mom do? After realizing she had just seen a ghost or spirit, she turned on the lights and sat in the dining room waiting for breakfast. I cannot even begin to imagine how she must have felt when she realized what she had seen. Although it was not a malevolent apparition, my mom must have been terrified. The second story has to do with a parochial building of the church my son and I attend. As he is young and as he is a young child, he attends faith development classes during the week in the evenings. Yes, he is being indoctrinated, and as such, I expect him to rebel against the Catholic faith as so many of us have done. The sign of a real Catholic. <laughs> so maybe I'm a real Catholic then. Um, okay. A real bad Catholic. I don't think they're going to put you on a poster anytime <laughs> soon. Well, not that kind of poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. No comment. <laughs> I began taking him earlier than usual to his classes, the teachers being already there, and sometimes there were other kids there too. I do this for my own personal reasons, though. The building was built in the 70s, and every time I walk through the doors, I feel a presence. It feels old, ancient, like that it's been there for longer than anyone can imagine. It also feels exceptionally peaceful, intelligent, welcoming, and calm, a calm that only comes from old age and wisdom. But it also feels unimaginably powerful. When you are a kid, you know you can count on your parents' love, well, some of us but also know that if you piss them off, you are screwed. That is the kind of presence I feel in this building. I also feel particularly drawn to a little garden at the back of the building, but the door is always locked. Perhaps I should ask one of the staff to open it for me and see why this presence wants me to go to the garden. I may end up regretting that decision, but you never know. I do enjoy the sense of peace I get in that building. Unfortunately, it doesn't last. As soon as the other parents arrive with their kids, it all goes away. Some people are just obnoxiously loud. Has either one of you ever encountered a benevolent presence, or have you heard about them in all your years of experience in the field? And sure, I mean, yep. I, I think you can probably take this better than I can. Um, yeah, I've been in places where, um, I've been in both. You, you go to places and you just feel like a warning, like you're very 
freaked out. And I've been in other places where it's like walking to a big warm hug. Um, and those are actually harder to detect. It's it's um, because we don't have the same sort of attuned. Of course, right? Yeah. We do for danger. Uh, but I've been there and I've just been like, oh, I love this place. I love being here. And it's got nothing to do with the decor or the, right. you know, it's just an energy. And it's just so happy that you're there and just wants to wrap you up. So absolutely. And, and I think, like I say, the trick is being able to sense that. So, yeah, I think it's the trick is um, sensing the benevolence. Right. It's much more difficult than sensing the oppression. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, like I said at the beginning, I think fear sells and it's, it's a much yes. more obvious, you know, we're much more hard as you say, hardwired to notice that Absolutely. that can, you know, go all the way bad. Yeah, definitely. So no, I, I, I trying to think if I had a personal experience with something benevolent, I don't think I have, uh, but that's, again, that's not to say I don't think they're out there. I think it's just that even myself, I tend to be a little more, you know, I have a finely honed survival instinct. Like so, a lemming. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good point. Uh, but so I, I tend to be more on guard for things which are less pleasant. Right. But I certainly have had, you know. Except I, if you're in LA at night. Yeah, well, then sometimes my curiosity gets better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing those with us, Ron. The final story we're going to share tonight, uh, but this isn't the end of our <laughs> listener stories. We have one more listener stories episode this coming this month and then another coming, I believe, in November or December. Uh, this story is sort of a, another in a series from someone who has been sending them into us for a few months now. Uh, we don't use her real name. We call her Terry. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll recognize Terry as being the person who moved to the pardon me, who moved to Vancouver Island from Eastern Canada, and who has been building a house and staying in a haunted house while that house is being built. I believe the story Terry is sharing this time is a little more historical. But I thought, uh, just in case you've been listening for a while, you might recognize the name. I grew up in a small old house in a very old and rough neighborhood on the north side of town. The area in which I lived always had more crime than other areas of the city, and we who lived there were referred, referred to as the Northerners, which was not a compliment, I assure you. More than once in my neighborhood, I remember witnessing unfortunate souls being taken away after their untimely deaths. Police ambulance and coroner arriving, followed by the removal of a stretcher with its deathly still passenger draped over with a dark velvet cover. I was finally given an opportunity to move to a new area of town, but only after a murder in the house just two doors down, I was relieved to be leaving. This small house was also home to my three siblings, my parents, and the occasional individual escaping some kind of negative circumstance. I don't know if my brothers and sisters experienced anything, but I do know my mother did in this house. She experienced small things, like objects moving on their own, items lost, then showing up in strange places. She also had trouble sleeping and was quite often in a state of depression. It was a hard place to live and raise a family. In the room where I slept, there was a window on the wall beyond the end of my bed. Even with the curtains drawn tight, a small amount of light would still shine through. One night, I was awakened from a deep sleep to a deathly silent house. I still don't know exactly what woke me, but whatever it was jolted me awake. Peering over my night covers and looking toward the window on the other side of the room, I froze with fear. In front of the window stood the dark silhouette of a man standing, tall and imposing. He was not wearing contemporary clothing. He was wearing what looked like a collarless cape or robe of some kind, and he was wearing a hat. The hat was wide. In my mind, I thought it looked like a three-cornered hat. 
I could see no details at all, just the dark outline of a man. I scrambled out of bed, groping with fear to find the light switch, and I was terrified when I reached the light, but relieved once I turned it on and no one was there. The appearance of this hat man happened multiple times over a month or so, and each time it became more terrifying as he would appear closer to the end of my bed. The last time he appeared to me was the worst. I awoke to see him floating right over my feet, but this time I could see some details in his clothing, and I could see under the brim of his hat what looked like red eyes. Interesting. Yeah. I was terrified as all at once the entity fell towards me. I put my arm up to stop his fall, tightly closed my eyes, and screamed. Of course, I awakened the other members of the household, but assured them I was just having a bad dream. To be honest, at the time, I think this is what I really wanted to believe, and I certainly didn't want my family members thinking I was losing my mind or delusional. Fortunately, this was the last time I was visited by this presence. I did not see the hat man again, but my strange experiences were not yet over. The next entity I started to see was not quite so terrifying. I started to see a little girl. Thinking back on it, I can still remember her so well. She was just quietly standing across the room, looking at me. She appeared to be about eight years old, had light brown hair that was worked into two braids hanging down in front of each shoulder. I can even describe in detail what she was wearing. She had on a white shirt and a red and black kilt. I recall looking at her and thinking how odd it was that her orange socks did not match her Celtic outfit. I was not afraid of her, she just stood there looking at me. She just appeared to be very sad. I mustered enough courage to talk about this counter with one of my more open-minded girlfriends, and she in turn talked to her equally open-minded mom. My girlfriend came back bringing me a disturbing message. Her mom thought it could be one of two things happening. I was either having a nervous breakdown, which was really comforting to hear, or it was a ghost. She also told me an entity would never talk unless you speak to it first. My friend's mom sent me a dire warning that it was important for me to talk to the little girl and to tell her that she must leave and go home. She was adamant that this is to be done right away for the little girl's sake, as well as for my own well-being. I was shocked. I wasn't expecting anyone to believe me, let alone send a message like this. I didn't know if I had it in me to talk to someone or something that may or may not be there. The little girl didn't scare me, but I knew I shouldn't be seeing her. So I waited for the girl's return and I didn't have to wait long. Sleep was again stolen from me as I was awakened to the form of a little girl standing at the end of the bed. Again, her stoic appearance did not frighten me. I slowly sat up in my bed and pulled together enough courage to smile and ask her why she was there. She continued looking at me, but said nothing. I told her I didn't want to see her so unhappy anymore, and I thought it best that she go home and assured her that she may be happier there. I waited a few more minutes, but she did not respond. I then quietly said goodnight and drifted back to sleep. The little girl must have gone home because she never came back again. I'm glad. I moved away from the house shortly after that and have had a few experiences since, but nothing like the ones I had in that tiny old house in the rough side of town. Thank you for sharing that with us, Terry. Um, Very cool. Very cool story. She goes on to ask uh, if we've heard anything like this before or whether we think the events are related. Um, I I mean, again, I, I have heard of the little girl. Um, I've actually heard of two different stories of a little girl in a blue dress right. coming to visit with kids when they're younger. Oh. And in one case, uh, stayed, the little girl, I'm sorry, the girl in the blue dress stayed as her playmate got older. Oh, wow. Uh, I did. I think when I did Coast to Coast, I had a woman contact me and say that she had, she lived in New Jersey and said that for most of her life, this little girl in a blue dress 
has been, you know, around sort of intermittently coming right. and going. Right. So I don't know. I mean, you wonder is because of the similarities, you, you kind of wonder, is it like a psychological thing? Is it like a, you know, something like that? Or a relative? Or, Maybe an aunt or an uncle or that you never knew. But I think in the similarities, you know, but if you've got two little girls in dresses, in blue dresses in two different places, right. you wonder, again, if it's, uh, is it the same spirit somehow or is it there's something in our brain that makes us see this thing? Yeah. I, I really don't know. I mean, I tend to think, just based on, on your experiences, Terry, I tend to think that Maybe you sort of are uh, you sort of attra- you are attractive to these. That's things. what I was thinking too. It's more about Terry than it is about that house or the ghosts. Yeah. yeah. And again, maybe there was some kind of I keep using this phrase, but atmospheric condition. Yeah. In that house, that sort of when combined with your uh, you know your appeal or your energy sensitivity sensitivity yeah. allowed those things to come through. Yeah, makes sense. Huh. Well, that's all the stories we're gonna have time for today. But so thank you to everybody who sent them in. And uh, we can't wait to get more on our get to more on our next episode. Absolutely, they're great stories. Yes, we will be right back with some. Uh, well, I guess we like I said, we're recording this early, so we won't have patron mail or uh, patron shoutouts or listener mail, but we do have some upcoming events. Mm-hmm. I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a weekly true crime podcast that focuses on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. We're a comedy podcast with a dark sense of humour. But we're dead serious about murder and the people it affects. We find humour in some unexpected places. But never at the expense of the victims or their families. We've been described as the blue cheese of podcasting. Addictive, strong and satisfying. And a bit stinky. I am not. You know you are. Bloody Murder is available on your favourite podcatcher. Welcome back. Thanks to our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain. Although they got uh, they got off lucky. They didn't have to do anything they for this did. episode. They did. But you know what? I applaud them. They've been working hard behind the scenes anyway. Oh, have they ever? We've got... The rest of this season, up right up to the break. That's amazing. Mapped out. It's in, it's, it's a first. <laughs> oh, 100%. If you had told me last year that we would have a plan for the episodes more than one panicked week in advance, I would have said you are lying. <laughs> so, Well, if you told me we would have had two researchers, one living in a whole other country, I wouldn't have believed. Also that. this. There's, there's also this. There yes. There you go. As we record this, I think Anthony is on vacation. Oh, lucky. So he's in another province. Lucky guy. I'll say. Good for him. So I guess because we're recording this so far in advance, we don't really have much to cover in this, in the end here. We don't, we, the patrons are going to have to wait till, yep. uh, till next episode. Yeah. Um, I will say if you're listening to this, uh, we are doing a patron draw for Halloween. And if you go over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys and support us, even at the $1 level, you'll be entered into that draw. The top prize for that draw is going to be a 20 by 36 poster of our new design into the synth we go. I love that you were going to use your hands to show the size. I really was. I was. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's about this it's big. It's about this big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Eight inches. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's this color. Yeah, yeah. I should get that looked at. <laughs> In addition to that poster, we're also going to be giving away 25 copies of, or I should say 25 free download copies of The Abyss's new album, Centurion. Very cool. Which has a song we featured on this episode, of course. That song was Thunder. And you can find more from him at radioabyss.bandcamp.com or he's also on Instagram at instagram.com slash radioabyss. What do we have coming up? We, You and I just recorded our interview literally just now yeah. with uh, Cisco Burdock for her Journey Through the Gate podcast. Yeah. I'm not sure when that's going to be out. I think it'll be before this releases. I think so. So yeah, that should be out by the time this drops. This is all very, <laughs> very, very confusing. confusing. Uh, that should be out by this time, or by, pardon me, by the time this comes out and we will post a link to that. Yeah. You have a couple events coming up, don't you? Yes, I do. First one is uh, I'm going to be uh, introducing the lovely, talented, and amazing Barbara Smith yes. at her book launch uh, on October 23rd um, at Bolin Books, and it's going to be the launch of her book, Great Canadian Ghost Stories. I'm really excited. I will be there. I'm looking forward I to it, I will wear too. pants. I'm so happy. It must be a special day like Christmas. Yeah, it's a, no, it's, this is a special occasion. Awesome. I like Barbara. And then the other thing um, is going to be, I'm doing a reading with uh, Shannon Sin, who wrote- um, The Haunting of Vancouver Island. Thank you. And uh, that's going to be at Russell Books, 730 uh, on October 26th. Nice. In Victoria. I will be there too. And it's downstairs at Russell Books, correct? Okay, never mind. I don't know. Okay. There's a poster. I haven't looked at it yet. I'm super <laughs> hands-on with I, my I love writing that, career. I, I love that I've posted that picture already to Facebook and Instagram. And I haven't. You, have, you haven't even seen it? No. Oh, there's a new one. There's they, a new one? Yeah, they like sent me three versions of that poster. Really? Yeah, I'll send them to you. You can okay. look at them. Uh, and then Ghost Walks. Ghost Walks, Ghost Walks, Ghost Walks. Oh, of course. Uh, Halloween's coming up, so we do uh, four tours a night starting October 13th, running all the way through to October 31st. Holy smokes. And I believe I'm on 12 nights of that wow. two weeks. Yeah. It's going to be... So you go to your day job. Yeah. From what? Eight to four? Eight to four. And then I do ghost walks from 6.30 to 11. Oh, man. And then when I don't have a ghost walk, I'm doing those events with Barbara and Shannon. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be tiring. October is always a, a busy month for you. Oh, October is a write-off for me. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Pretty much. But that's okay. Absolutely. It's only a couple of weeks. Sleep when you die. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to be on, I think, Miami Ghost Chronicles, I think is the name cool. of the show. At the end of the month. Is I'm, it like Miami Vice, but with ghosts? I hope so. That'd be cool. I, I, yeah, I don't know. She's a very nice lady. Send me Excellent. a nice email, so we shall see. Excellent. Uh, I'll post a link to that a little closer to the time, and I'll talk it up on upcoming episodes too. Good. And actually, we are going to have Barbara Smith on the bonus episode. Yes. Which will be out next week. Yes. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. That'll be our only our second ever in-studio guest. Yeah. And Who was our first one? That was Tori from Touch Tori Me. helped with the bonus episode. She was amazing. She really was. Yeah. She put up with my shit and that's And no gave it right back. She really did. <laughs> Don't forget to tell your friends about the show and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps increase our rating, increase our visibility. You know, our, we, we were looking at our numbers and we are, uh, say for example, last month, our total downloads were more than three times what they were this time last year. Which is insane. Oh, it's just fantastic. And it's because of you telling people, sharing this, uh, making recommendations. So please keep it up. We really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. If you have any stories of your own that you want to share with us, please let us know at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We reply to every message we receive. It may take us a day or two, but we always reply. And we will eventually share your story on the show. As long as it's not obscene. 
or pornographic. Those yeah. go to Brennan's personal collection. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the collection's pretty bare right now, but that, that, I'm not encouraging anyone. Let's no, go, me no, neither. Just, yeah. No, I'm grateful. No. I'm grateful. Oh, I'm the stories we get are pretty amazing. Oh, they are. And um, I appreciate the honesty because some of these people are telling their story for the first time ever. Yep. And the fact that you trust us with that and you trust us with, you know, uh, withholding your name if you want us to or changing your name or whatever, that means a lot to us because uh, we really try and give that trust back so thank you for sending us your stories being so honest being brave and and letting other people know to bring comfort to other people because sometimes these things happen and people don't know what's going on no and sometimes this shit is scary man it absolutely is so the the, the more the more data we have the more better we can understand the better exactly. we can understand the less afraid we are we comfort each other that's it yeah you're not getting a hug from me though so don't please get your don't touch up. me <laughs> I guess that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week with author Barbara Smith. And until then, into, into the, the darkness, darkness we, we go. go. <laughs> If that on was, the table, if that was what happened, the next sound would be the door slamming as I ran the fuck away, <laughs> as, as I ran yeah through yeah the door because of your intimidation. I get that. That's what it is. I, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Okay, Babar. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> of course you do. Not anymore. Sure. I found it culturally wanting. <laughs> oh, 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 here we go. All right. Sorry uh, about that. No worries. We're good to go. What? Get, Were you visiting her mom? There is a huge snake mentioned next. Oh, so it wasn't you. Fuck you. <laughs> is that, how heavy is this again? <laughs> Throwing range. About to commit a hate Con- crime. Concussion weight. That's right. Is it? Is that inside? I don't think so. It's no, awfully it's, loud, though. Yeah, let's go a quick one. <clears throat> that was bizarre. I swear to God, that was in the next room. Yep, it was really loud. Hmm. No, no, bad Ian, bad. Holy crap. Whew.